Hello and welcome to Between the Lines. I am Tracy Hunter Abramson and I am here with Sarah M. Eden, Sean and Bessie, and Esther Hatch. And today we're going to do something a little different. Um, we've asked a few times on our social media pages if you, you know, you all would let us know what you want us to talk about. But several of your questions weren't really enough to fill a whole episode. So we're going to kind of have a hodgepodge of different questions. And I figure since I'm leading this discussion, I don't even have to answer them, which is fantastic. <laughs> so, Wait a minute. That I know. It that way. No, they didn't realize that's why I was doing it, but now they do. So first question, which we kind of laughed because it was a, could be a very short answer, but how do authors choose their titles? Well, the short answer is in traditional publishing, we generally don't. <laughs> So the end, I guess, if that's the, the, uh, the angle we're coming at this from. That's true. Um, for, the, for the publisher that we all write for, we, we usually submit our manuscripts with a working title. And the working title can be something that we feel strongly about, that, yes, this is what it should be. Or it can be, I have no idea what this should be called, so I'm slapping a title on it and hoping that somebody comes up with something better. And then they do ask us to come up with between six and a dozen alternative titles, um, which they will consider and, and a committee will bounce around ideas. And sometimes it's the one we submit. Sometimes it's one of the ones that's on that list. And sometimes it's something that we've never seen or heard before. <laughs> Yep, that's, I mean, we mostly publish with the same publisher. That's what I, my same experience also. But it was kind of interesting because I felt like that wasn't explained, you know. And so for my first book, it came out and they, I called it Roses of Feldstone. And they thought, you know, let's add the. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, yeah. That, and it is better. Like, I like it better with the. So my second book, I submitted with kind of a funky title that I was shocked they accepted. And it wasn't until I got like my final proof that it had a totally different title. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't what hear about this? this. I didn't know. And and the funny thing is, I actually didn't like that title. So they were really great to kind of go back to the drawing board. But it was very late in the process because I just had assumed that when they accepted my book, they accepted the title as well. But that was not <laughs> the case. So it, and and when we turn in our books, they also have evaluators and they will give a couple of I review ideas. So a proper scandal was um, a name that one of the evaluators came up with because they didn't like my first choice <laughs> and I didn't like their first choice. So somebody else came up with that. So, but I love the title and it's probably the right choice to be completely honest compared to the other options, including my own. And it's yeah, really I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we now we're interrupting each other. We have ideas. Um, I will say I have one of the other publishers I publish with does this process differently. Um, I will submit the book with its working title, which sometimes is just Sarah Eden Western Romance Number Three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not great at titles. Well, and then um, you, at least you know they're not going to pick that, right? Like you have to turn something into the title you hate. About that too, though. <laughs> so, uh -oh. um, they I submit it with its working title, and once it's accepted and they've read through it, they actually just come back with the title they want to move forward with, and then I will, if I really hate it, I'll tell them that and we'll work out something else. But it isn't. I don't submit additional title suggestions for that particular publisher. So it's always kind of 
hold your breath <laughs> to, see, to see what they come up with. I do have one book I turned into them. Um, it's about two people vying to be the sheriff of a town called Savage Wells. So I just submitted it with the title, The Sheriffs of Savage Wells, thinking they'll come up with a different title. That's its title. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we actually love that title. We should stick <laughs> with it. And I was like, that was like my joke too. title. Wait a minute. <laughs> so I guess be careful what your working title is, is the takeaway lesson here. Well, and I learned recently, this is a, a new revelation for me, is that they also have to work with the graphics department. And sometimes right. our titles are too long and they yes. literally cannot fit it in with the cover art. And so they have to figure out the length of the words and where the words sit on the yeah. page and, and those kinds of things that, you know, you'd never really think of before. Right. Or if there's a similar book that came out really recently that has the same or a similar title, then they have mm -hmm. to play with that too. I keep submitting titles that are hyphenated and <laughs> graphics hates that. <laughs> so things you don't we... think of. <laughs> and, and it's funny because honestly, I think it's just as hard to write the title as it is the entire book. Like, my oh, title, as soon yeah. as I have to send it to the CIA, that's when it gets a title. Until then, it's like a, a character name or, you know, Falcon Point number three or, you know, whatever it no. is. So This is where we're going to find out Esther not only likes to and writes good kissing <laughs> scenes, but she's also good at titles. titles. We're going to be like, who are you? are you? I wouldn't say I'm good at titles, but I definitely think they're easier than writing a whole book. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, so maybe they're, they're a little faster, but they're more painful. It's like, uh, that's what's going yeah. on the front. <laughs> so, okay, so next question. We're moving on to what happens when a reader finds grammatical errors in the book after it's, or ebook after it's already published? Is there anything they can do if they find a mistake? And do we want them to tell us? <laughs> I was going to say, there's lots of things they can do. They can. <laughs> and I Preferably not a bad review because of a missing comma. Yes. Yes. I would say definitely that's hopefully not something people do is knock down a book's rating based on a grammar error, error or two because they sneak into every book, like no matter who publishes them. Right. But um, I do sometimes get messages from readers with grammar problems and... Um, I think for me, the tone is super important if you choose to do that, guys. <laughs> so, yes. And I don't even know how to explain it. Some of them I'm like really grateful for and other ones I'm just kind of like, really? Why did you send that to me? You know, because the book's done. Like there's not much I can do at that point. But I do send them on to the publisher if I get them. I don't know how often they update their files. I don't think it's very often. So a lot of times the typos are there to stay and it's just an accepted part of the industry that some sneak in. So so you could try it writing the author. My indie books, I do fix typos if I find them um, or if people send them to me. I can update those files. So that's a little easier. Um, I think if you love finding typos, if this is why you read books, um, then you could try getting on like an author's street team because maybe not as much for traditionally published books, but for my indie ones, I would love to get those before the book is published if, if that's like something you love to do. So you could look for street teams to join so that you can send those at a time when it's more um, usable information for the author. So, but I I will just say like ignoring them is a valid option also. Like <laughs> sometimes there's just nothing we can do. So move on, I guess is also okay. 
Okay, so this next question is one that I actually often have, which I sometimes bug the rest of you about, is how do you know which websites and books to use for research? Because I know like if I'm co-writing with, with Sean, it's so much easier because I can just put in a bracket and like two seconds later, the answer pops up, but I have no idea where she actually <laughs> finds them. So where do you get your answers? Well, this is the point where I can hear echoing in my mind the voice of slash the red pen of <laughs> the faculty advisor I had in college who oversaw my thesis. Um, he taught a class for those who were getting ready to start working on their thesis that was all about how to write it and how to research it. And he used to write slash say to us SOS all over our papers. And that stood for strength of source. It was his way of saying your source isn't strong enough. And so his um, advice that he gave us, which I thought was very good, um, he said, if you're looking at like a scholarly text or um, a book about a time or a place, it says always go to the bibliography first. If there isn't one, it is probably not the best source to look to because it tells you they haven't found sources. Um, if you're looking at like accounts of things that have happened, firsthand accounts are going to be to an extent more reliable. There's always bias. So you have to bear that in account. But the further removed you get from a source, the less reliable it is. But sometimes that's all you have are maybe modern day reference materials about something in the past, in which case he would, um, he said, this is the researcher's rule of threes. You need to, <coughs> now I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. I'm getting emotional about research, guys. <laughs> Shocking. Um, he said you need to be able to confirm your information in at least three different places. And so that's something that we always did. He called it the researcher's rule of threes. Now, that can be tough in the days of the Internet, because sometimes what you're seeing is three different sites that are just quoting each other. <laughs> so you don't right. have three sources. So I try to find three sources that are unlikely to be you know, just looking at each other and do it that way. So look at a bibliography that includes on a Wikipedia page, jump to the bibliography and follow that chain because you'll find great information also in books. The closer you are to an event or a piece of information, the more accurate it is likely to be and make sure you can find the same information in more than one totally separate source. And then you can move forward pretty confident that your information is accurate. Awesome. Wow, Sarah, I don't, I don't think anybody can add to that. I really don't. But, but, I, but I loved hearing what I do said by you, because if it's something that's really important to the book, like an integral part of the plot, then I always look for at least three sources to make sure that I've got it right. Um, and, you know, in fairness, Google helps. You, yeah. you, Google, you Google a question and... Um, and it will send you to places. And then you do have to be a little bit discerning on, on you know, what, what you're looking at and what your source is. But if it's something that I know I'm going to be using multiple times, you know, if, if, if it's material that will go into more than one book, I almost always will buy at least one book that I can keep going back to. So I have, I have a big book on wildflowers, in <laughs> wildflowers in Britain that I use for medicinal stuff. I use for what grows and what seasons, those types of things. Um, I have big books on castles and, and what life was like living in a medieval castle, um, cold, basically. Um, <laughs> but, 
so I do have books that I go back to, but Google is a good way to, to start if you don't know where to begin. Yeah, I, I agree and don't do as well as you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here going like, I must need to write more historically pertinent books. (laughs) Like what? I do have a few like historical events that happen in my books. For the most part, I feel like mine are kind of vague time period books. Mm -hmm. But um, my favorite thing is honestly, when I am researching and trying to find something and I'm either seeing conflicting stuff on sources or not finding, because a lot of times what the question is, is something so specific that it's like, like you're getting broad answers and you need specific answers. So one of my favorite things to do is, and this is a perk of being an author with a lot of author friends is I will message my author friends. Like when I, if I'm really struggling, then I'll just be like, Hey, like, how does this like typically work in a household? And somebody will have answers or they'll know where I can go to find the answers. And Mm -hmm. like, and usually I have enough friends that somebody will just have the answer off the top of their head. (laughs) So So it's awesome. Having good connections, definitely an important, yes, very important in this business. Okay, so our next question is, which is easier to write, a novel or a novella? And which do you, which, how do you know which one you should do? Because I know for me, it's like, it just kind of depends on the day, which one I feel like writing. What do you, what about you guys? Which is easier to write? Is that what you said? Or or how do you know? Which is easier and which, how do you know, like, which one fits the story? Oh, Yeah. Oh, that's so usually for me, I always try to write novels unless I've been asked to write a novella, like, uh, or it's part of a collection or things like that. So for me, um, when I start a novella, sometimes it turns into a novel, but I don't think I've had too many novels that turned into novellas. I've had none of those. So, (laughs) So sometimes I, and I think like the first time I tried to write a novella, I realized it was a book and, and. I've done that multiple times and it's been nice because then it starts me off on a book path, but then I have to come up with another novella idea. So usually they don't have quite as much conflict in it, honestly. Um, but I wouldn't say they're easier or faster for me to write because I'm a pantser like Tracy. And for me, a huge part of the first draft is coming up with the story. And that takes me just about as long um, in a novella as it does a novel to like figure out like oh this is why he acts that way and now I have to rewrite and now you know like because it's just how my brain can make stories and I used to fight against it but now I just go with it (laughs) and so the first draft I don't think is much faster for me however the editing is like it's just such a breath of fresh air to edit a novella because it's like I can read the whole book in a day because when I read my books I edit as I go. And so it's like, like just things like that. It, it The editing is much easier on a novella. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even though novellas are shorter, there's, there's an extra or different, I guess, complication to it. Like you said, there's, there's less conflict in it just because there has to be, but you also don't want there to be no conflict and you need to make sure it feels complete unto itself while still being short enough, but you don't want it so shallow that nothing's happening. So yeah, it's, It's complicated, which I think me is the reason why for me, it's also not necessarily easier than a a novel. I now write them a lot faster than a novel, but only because I've written like 40 of them at this point. So it's more, um, how's that rehearsal, but that's kind of the right at practice. That's a better word. I've practiced it enough that they're a lot faster. My Dread Penny Society series is a novel with two novellas in it. 
So like I'm writing three different stories at the same time, but because I've written so many novellas and short stories, they actually go pretty fast, but I wouldn't say any of them are easier. So yeah, maybe that's not a helpful answer, but that's my answer. <laughs> it's honest though. Yes. It's true. It's true. Yeah, no, they just, they just both have their own strengths and weaknesses, but I will say that when I'm writing a novel and I get to about like 30,000 words and I realize that if it were a novella, I'd be done. Then I'm like, why isn't this a novella? <laughs> we may have had that conversation this past yeah, week. Yeah, like a I, week or so ago. Yeah, yeah I, I'm like, my work in progress would be, that's you shouldn't have said finished. that. I know, I know. It's a horrible mindset. I've just totally why? ruined you. I've just realized I would be done with the edit I'm working on right now exactly. if this were a novella. <laughs> And look at the can of worms we just opened on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Except for that in my work in progress, progress, it's like they're barely getting to know each other. So that's kind of like a weird mindset to right. think about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, really okay. To... Okay. A two-part novella. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're halfway-ish. Yeah. So maybe. Okay. So our next question, this is obviously from another writer because I was totally laughing when I read it. It says, how do you not get sucked into other books and movies when you're supposed to be writing? <laughs> oh, I think I might have to let the other authors answer this one. Did I ask that? Is that for me? <laughs> it, was not, it was not you. But it was, all right. So Sarah and Sean, like, like, what do you got for us? <laughs> I finally reached the point where I was willing to admit that I have a problem. <laughs> Don't they say that's the first step in getting help? That it's very easy to get sucked into a book or a television program or a movie or whatever it might be, in part because it's already done. And so there's that feeling of, I don't have to work for this. I get to enjoy a story. Oh, yeah. It's a great you know, distraction. So if I'm feeling procrastinating, which either is because I'm burned out or I'm frustrated with my current project, or I just am feeling lazy, <laughs> then I just don't let myself read a new book or watch a TV program or movie that I know is going to pull me in. Um, I save that as sort of a reward, like, good job, Sarah, you finished that project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are times when I really push through the last few chapters because I'm desperate to go read something or watch something I didn't have to create or finish and <laughs> I just get to enjoy it. So I just deny myself the joy. <laughs> that could be <laughs> the description That's of so every sad. author's job. Yeah, I deny no. myself joy. <laughs> well, the I'm, project I'm, is done. I'm going to take yes. that as my mantra because I do the exact same thing. And I use reading somebody else's book as my reward for finishing a manuscript. And so if I'm really generous with myself, I'll read two or three books before I start my next project. But I rarely can do it in the middle of a project. Otherwise, it just, yeah, it, it's just too hard. I think it gets yeah. distracting. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of distracting to have mm -hmm. other people. It, it takes you words. out of one world and into another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. So that is our question and answer section for today. So we are so grateful that you all joined us. We would love to hear what other topics or questions you would have for us and that you would love answered because and we can do this again. We know how and you never know where it's going to go. But um, if you aren't already following us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel, now's a great time to click those buttons and follow us. And um, we hope that we will that you'll join us next time. Thanks for being here. <laughs>